0: This is the I Am Pit Podcast. Get ready for contact. Yeah, kids up. Any available Unit, on the show. Oscar 37. What's up everybody? This is your boy, DP. Some people call me Dex, really don't matter. But right now I'm in Mount Washington, Kentucky. In the Cherry Hill States, Chile. The only black guy from miles. once again. <laughs> I've been looking forward to doing this podcast. Since I decided to start getting doing my own show, my own podcast, if there's one thing I've always enjoyed and liked, is good people. And there are so many good people in my life, but there's always that select few people that I've been able to interact with and been around and met that have made such an impact on me. And the podcast I'm getting ready to do now is with the man that legitimately pulled me back from the brink of taking my own life. This man was a mentor to me. He was my sergeant. He was a leader. Ladies and gentlemen, I have with me my brother, a one legged white man.
1: One legged. <laughs> Retired LMPD officer, That's Kevin right. Trees. What's up, Kim? Hey, what's up? And Dexter wanted me to throw a little colors at you, so <laughs> <laughs> Colors, colors, uh uh, cut I am a... And <laughs> <laughs> he got me he got me he got me stage fright, so you know I can't. I'll be honest, I, we both been drinking a, right now.
0: We've both been drinking a little bit. i, well, no, I little bit luck, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Not, I'm not. I've
1: been drinking my wild turkey. I just bought this wild turkey, it is phenomenal.
0: Oh, was, I've and never I, had Walter. Man,
1: I got to stick to my 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 brewskis, you know. The beers, man. My, my craft beer snob, you know. You, you're so such a millennial. <laughs> God, dude, I'm trying a 52, 52 year old millennial. 52 year old millennial, yeah. man. There, bro. <laughs> my craft beers. Mm-hmm. That's what you do when you retire. No, PD. You, you. <laughs> you got one leg. You go drink craft what beers. You, do? you sit around and mow people's grass and uh, drink beer and weed eat. That's what you do when you retire. So. And he's
0: actually smoking these.
1: Oh, and I, I'm still smoking my four kings from the West End, <laughs> from my hood. I've been smoking those for probably 15 years. Oh my God! Yes, so I. You have. really did work in the West End I, for a long time. I loved my West End. I know you I did. I love that I stayed down there. I stayed down there by choice, and uh, I started uh, too many homicide scenes. I was putting out too many good cigars, so I started smoking uh, four kings. So you could uh, ride around in the the five zero and and. Uh, and smoke my cigar and have to put them out when I put them out. No, no joke, everybody. Legit. Anytime
0: I would roll up on this dude. Well, he was my sergeant when I first got to the second division <laughs> working that in the last yeah. He always, in his car, he had a crate in his passenger seat and it was full of LMPD SOP. Well, and right. he would sit there in his car, smoke his cigars, read SOP. And I remember when Young Jeezy's I put on for my city yep. came out. Great song. He would always be in his car, smoking his cigars, looking the the so Put on <laughs>
1: for my city. I put on for my... Yeah, great song. Oh,
0: man. That's song I knew. I was like, you know what? This is exactly what I'm supposed to
1: be. I loved my hood. I you really do. did. Uh, I, I love embraced this. it. I loved the people down there. I loved being down there. I loved the uh, policing down there. And, uh, you know, my motto was, let's see who cannot... We don't have to arrest. You know, because I, I prefer to arrest Less people than I did put cuffs on people. You know, I was just down there trying to save and help people. So, uh, my well, times are well, done. Yeah. So, now I'm mowing grass. and,
0: and uh, Letting my beautiful black children swim in this pool. That's right. He yeah. appreciates you. Nah, he's man. my boy. That's Dexter's my, my boy. That's my dude, man. He's my, my good man. Man, but before we go any further, Kev, so we're going to get to know you a little bit better. Go so, boy. where are you from?
1: Tell, tell the people where you're from. Yeah, I'm originally from Pensacola, Florida. A southern boy. Southern boy, born and raised in the south
0: lived in Birmingham
1: Alabama in the 70s during all the, the BS and uh, moved up here in 1978 in little Kentucky did you join you joined the Marine Corps. It was at the high school right man I went to um, I went to school down in Florida and uh, I was that other kid on the other side of the tracks I was the poor kid you know I couldn't afford college I couldn't afford anything. So my mother had still lived up here, and she's like, man, why don't you come up here and go to community college? So um, I had been been—I'd just spent the last four years on my own, pretty much, taking care of myself, feeding myself, um, cut school a whole lot. And uh, when I moved up to my mother's house, she, uh, she had a lot of rules. I couldn't deal with it, and uh, I got kicked out. So I lived in a station wagon for a month. And I lived, after she took her car back, uh, I lived under a shower curtain in a friend's backyard for a month because her mom wouldn't allow me in the house. And then, uh, couldn't get a loan for a hotel or couldn't get, or for an apartment. I couldn't get a loan for a car. I couldn't get a loan for anything. So uh, one day I walked down to the Marine Corps station, uh, the recruiter station, and uh, I walked into the, it was all the services. And I walked in and I said, man, I got two questions. They all came out of their office. And I said, who's got aviation? And all four of them said, yeah, we got aviation. I said, who's got the hardest boot camp? And the Marine Corps officer, he stepped forward. All the rest of them stepped back. And I went in the Marine Corps. Wait, wait. 1980. You were aviation? I was an air traffic controller for a I year and I thought you were a I was after a year and a half.
0: Oh, okay. I'm about, I'm, yeah. I'm about, to, say, I'm about to lose some respect for you,
1: man. No, nah, I was an, an air traffic <laughs> controller for a year and a half. The Gulf War came and went. Uh, we probably pushed. I was down in Beaufort, South Carolina as an air traffic controller. I, I did not know that. Or, I thought you were went in as a grunt, man. No, nah, we probably pushed uh, thousands and thousands of aircraft over to the Gulf War. and uh, They stood us up, and we stood on the edge of a C-141, and they were going to ship us over. And then about that time, uh, our uh, president decided we're not going into Baghdad, so it sit us down, and I said, man, I want to go places. So air traffic control is one of the few jobs in the Marine Corps you can say, man, I want to I want to get out of. So I went to uh, logistics, and then I joined 1st Battalion, 6th Marines, in Camp Lejeune for my next two and a half years. Nice. I did that. You know what?
0: Just hearing yeah. <laughs> your story of growing up, what happened to your white privilege? Apparently. <laughs> Apparently it didn't work for you. Uh, why did you
1: overcharge it? You're <laughs> uh, sleeping uh, under you, a shower curtain. You call <laughs> living in the back of a station wagon <laughs> with everything I owned under a shower curtain. I mean, I, I, you folks think I'm kidding. No, literally. It, I, I'll tell you, the whole story is it was my girlfriend's backyard. But she was a devout Catholic and her mom wouldn't let me in the house. So um, I had nowhere else to go. And after the station wagon got taken back from me, um, I'd slept in her backyard under a shower curtain when it rained so I wouldn't get soaking wet. So Were there any
0: hurricanes at this time in Pensacola?
1: No, that, this is all in Louisville. Oh, this way, this is Louisville? This is in Louisville.
0: Oh, I thought it was Florida.
1: Oh, this is in Louisville. This is after oh. I moved back home. Oh, man. And that I makes get, it even better. Then I got kicked out. So. <laughs> nah, hurricanes, I've been through plenty of hurricanes. <laughs> but this is this straight, oh, straight up. This is straight up. Little Kentucky down the Newburgh neighborhood. Oh, you was in Newburgh? Off, uh, off of, uh, uh, God, what is it called? Big Tree Avenue. Right, I mean, right off, right off Newburgh Road. You really are black at the kid. I are. mean, I. <laughs> I slept in the damn. You really are. It was my hood, man. I, I didn't, I, you know, I remember these two kids were going to jump me. These two young kids were going to jump me. I was walking home and, uh, man, we're going to kick your butt. We're going to kick your ass. We're going to kick your ass. And I said, well, you go ahead. Try to kick my ass. And they're like, man, I'm going to go and get my gun. And I said, bro, you better go and get a gun because that's what it's going to take kick my ass. That, yeah, that was, that was up in the Newburgh neighborhood.
0: Man, so, go through all
1: that. Yeah. Then, at what point do you decide to join the police department? Man, so I, I do my four years in the Marines. I deploy overseas. <clears throat> got to see a lot of great, great places. Got the We did a med float with the 22nd Mew and uh, got back and uh, went back to college for finance. Got a finance degree.
0: Um the brains on this dude.
1: Huh? Look at the brains on this crew. Uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> I had a finance degree and I sat did finances for a year and a half. And I said, man, if I don't get out of this fucking office, I'm going to kill myself. So um, me and my wife were down at a festival on the riverfront. And I started asking questions to cops. You know, I asked them, uh, so tell me about this high divorce rate. And they're like, well yeah, there is a high divorce rate if you screw around with your wife. Uh, with your wife. I was like, all right, I, can tell. I love my wife. And I uh, said, so what about these hours? And I'm like, man, the hours just suck. So I was like, well. But, you know, n- never never, never a dull moment. So I was like, man, so uh, in, uh, in February of, oh, God, what year was it? 1999. I was a freshman. I went to uh, the police academy and... Uh, <laughs> The first place they stuck me was the West End of Louisville in uh, July of 1999. And um, other than my stint in homicide and with the air unit, uh, that's where I ended up staying. Now, like I said, I love my West End. For all you people out there that that wonder, man, I, I loved working in the West End. I had so many friends down there. I had so many people down there that loved me. I mean, I spent two weeks when I retired. Walking around, going to all the different shops and different uh, different convenience stores, saying goodbye to all the people, giving hugs to all my people, giving hugs to all the OGs I chased around 20 years <laughs> earlier, all the drug dealers. Y'all I got mean, old together. Yeah, we all. I mean, we did, man. It was you know, we, it, it was together, just a different man. time. We nobody's trying to hurt each other. It was a cat and mouse, and and uh, fortunately, I got to see a lot of a lot of my old. Guys that you know I cat and mouse with, and uh, I have good relationships with them today. You know, if I saw them now, they'd they'd come up and give me a big hug. You know, uh, a lot of good times, man. A lot of good people in the West. Yeah, from the Louisville.
0: never met anybody in the streets that had anything bad to say about you, brother. A lot of people don't realize it is that with this guy Kevin here. If you've ever watched the first 48, let Everybody has watched the first 48. I remember when Louisville was on and popping the crazy part is our homicide right now is even worse than when yeah. we were on the first 48. You know, we were averaging what? Probably about 30, 40, 50 homicides. No,
1: year? are we, uh, when I was in homicide three and a half years, I think we hit 68 to 73, 73 homicides. 78 to seventy homicides. About what yeah. years was that? Um, I was in homicide 2007. I went on with the Kano case. The, I just got out. The young, oh, uh, the, kid that got the cats in child that was, yeah. they found the garbage truck. That's yeah. when I got up there and then, uh, I got promoted in 2010, September, so that's when I went back to the hood. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, you know, if you ever watched First 48,
0: you might have seen the one legged homicide officer, detective. Yeah, yeah. You might have seen him uh-huh. limping, <laughs> around. A&E, on A&E limping around. Limping around. That's yeah. this guy right here, ladies and gentlemen. That's this guy right here. Yeah. it's
1: like season nine. If you remember the Iroquois Home shooting, where. uh <laughs> yes. The mom and dad got killed in front of their kids. That was that was my big case, and you know it was like a, it was like an hour long show, and uh, we even got put in for an Emmy, Dexter. Did now y'all get you put you in that? for an Emmy? No. Yeah. And you know who beat us? Who? Intervention. Intervention. Daggone on intervention beat us. You know what? It was probably that
0: dude, the boxer. <sighs> the probably the remember the boxer on intervention, man, and man. he was like, "Dad, I love you." I the worst crime in the world.
1: I, I, I remember <laughs> the, the producer said, "Man, we're we're up for an Emmy." And it was between us and intervention, and God bless their souls. They uh, they beat y'all out. They beat us up. Yeah. Man,
0: MTs can't have nothing
1: in his life, dude. <laughs> no doubt. Everybody
0: knows of the one-legged homicide detective yeah. on the Little Metro Police Department. Man, tell us how you lost your leg and you got this. stuck with this beautiful nub.
1: Man, I tell you what, it was. It's it's like a. It, uh, you know, life is full of bittersweet moments, and this is one of them. you know, three weeks earlier, um, in March of, oh, what the hell year was it now, uh, 2003, I had gotten Officer of the Year, the last Officer of the Year for LMPD, and Chief White had, uh, had awarded me the award, and then um, three weeks later, that early morning, I'm sitting up looking at, some dope dealers on 17th street. I'm just watching them, seeing how they act, you know, where they're hiding their dope, what they're doing. And, uh, and nothing was really going on. So I decided to go home early that night. So I got in bed about four. I woke up about 11 o'clock. I was going to, I was going to pick up my kids about one o'clock from school. So I decided to jump on my motorcycle, my beautiful Honda BFR 800. that got thrashed and, uh, and uh, I went riding around, and and uh, I was I always rode back roads so I wouldn't get killed by other people, you know. But uh, this one particular bridge, man, it wasn't built correctly, and it got it got the best of me. So uh, I hit the bridge about forty five. I sped up to about sixty five, trying to regain control. And next thing I know, I'm slapping a tree that's about yeah. fourteen inches around. Uh, with my whole right side of my body. And I remember flying to the air. I remember landing. I remember looking at the big old hole in my right arm, Uh, that big old scar right there, Dex, and uh, thinking, man, okay, I got six weeks. I'll get back on that apartment. Because I love my job, you know. I love what I do. I was always fair. I I love my people. How long had you been a cop at that point? Man, I'd been a cop. I'd only been a cop maybe four years, three and a half
0: years. Yeah. Uh, still a rookie pretty much yeah I was, I was and that's what made it
1: so special the officer of the year is I was the youngest officer of the year ever uh, not rookie of the year but off of the year so um, I mean I hit that tree and I remember flying through the air and I remember laying there and I remember looking at my arm it was a big gaping hole and I, I saw all the broken bones and and everything in there and I was like man okay I'll get past this you know six weeks I'll be back back on the job and shit and uh like 36 surgeries and, uh, I was 34 surgeries and uh, two and a half years later, I finally got re-sworn back in on the department. So it was a long road. I went from wheelchair to walker to crutches. I mean, I didn't, I didn't walk on my own for two and a half years. Yeah. It was. Uh, I was a bodybuilder, you know. I was a big guy. I was a strong guy. I benched over 420 pounds, and and you went from that to to. To nothing, you know. I could barely lift five pounds in physical. Um, it was just such a. I mean, it was such a, a, a an awakening of humility, you know. When you think, when you think you're special, when you think you're great, life's got this plan. Life's got. Let me show you something. Me, <laughs> Murphy's Law is what we call. Let that. me show you how insignificant <clears throat> you really are in life. Let me show you how. Yeah how important you really are to maybe other, tw- other than the 20 people in your family. Let me show you how you just go through life, you know.
0: You know, man, it's weird. I was actually talking about that on my last podcast, Kev. I was saying, you know how when I got hurt in Iraq before I got hurt, and you know, I was this 20-year-old kid the infantryman and machine gunner. Mm-hmm. And you know, they just you just get talked up like, "Oh, you know, you're the greatest soldier, you're part of the greatest military." We're here to kill everybody and lay waste to everything. Then all of a sudden, that light switches. You know, an explosion goes off. Let me show you Walter
1: Reed, you can't even wipe your own ass. Let me show you how important you are. You know, yeah. I'm gonna tell you, you wiping your own ass. Let me tell you something. My mother-in-law wiped my ass. uh, You talking about you talking about miserable? When I got out of, I was in ICU for two months, and then I was in a nursing home for another month. You were in a coma too, weren't you? Uh, I, well, for about four hours because be screwed up. Yeah, and almost that almost killed me. Ugh. And then, uh, and so I was in the ICU for four months, and or two months rather, and then I was in a nursing home for another month, and then I was in inpatient rehab at Frazier for about two months, and then uh, they're like, well, you can get around in the wheelchair, so uh, you can go home now. So they put a hospital bed in my room, my uh, living room in my house, and... Uh,
0: at what point did you actually lose your leg? Did you have your leg the entire time, and then all of a sudden they just decided to take it, or?
1: So they, um, I had my leg. I was a, since I was a bodybuilder, I didn't have any internal internal injuries. It was just all broken bones. I broke um, both legs, my right hip, my right arm. I blew out my right pelvis. Um, so I mean, it, so um, you know, I. I broke all these bones, and what the hell did you ask me? <laughs> Sorry. Were you, wearing, were, were you wearing a helmet when you crashed? <laughs> yes, I was wearing a band helmet. Oh, my God. Helmet, well, I mean, let's, just, let's just look okay. at it. Let's just go. Or was it the alcohol? It's, it might be that Motorcycle alcohol. safety, you know. Right? <laughs> you yeah. missed the weekend safety briefings in the Marine Corps, clearly. Right. <laughs> no they were like don't knock anybody up don't get arrested don't beat your wife don't beat your dog right, Yeah yeah, but yeah, no, yeah. The Marine Corps briefing yeah. don't get arrested yeah don't yeah. knock anybody up so that was that was the uh,
0: Marine Corps briefing briefing yeah so the question was uh, at what point
1: <laughs> Shut up. at what point did you lose your leg Oh, you're an asshole. <laughs> that's why you love me. Uh, no, that's why you're my little brother. <laughs> if no, a, so if I, an tea falls in the woods, doesn't uh, make a sense.
0: Uh, I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> no, no, so I, I had uh, tried to save my knee, my right knee, as much as I could. And, and uh, after two failed knee replacements um, in October 2005, I, I literally told the doctors, oh, man, I just... Just cut the damn thing off. And uh, the doctors were like, oh, we don't want to cut it off because it's got blood supply and all this shit. And I'm like, I can't do nothing anymore. Um, and at the time, I mean, even Steve Henry, who was the uh, lieutenant governor at the time, he's a doctor, he even called me and I talked to him. True story. And, and I don't know how he got a hold of me, but he's like, no, we don't want to cut your leg off. We don't have to. And I'm like, dude, I got, I got to move on with life. I'm 34 years old. I got to. so... Um, at 34 years old, uh, my 35th surgery, or 34th surgery also, I, thought, I just said, cut the damn thing off. Just cut the freaking leg off. I'm tired of it. I'm done with the pain. I, you know, there was a time I was taking uh, 320 milligrams of Oxycontin a day. Yeah. I was taking four 80s a day.
0: You know Joe Rogan?
1: Let me tell you a little something about um, me. I'll tell you what, bro. I take oxy, and I didn't get high one damn time. That was a shame of it all. Of course not, know, man. Your
0: body started oh my adjusting. God. And I mean, Jeez, I, I was on
1: oxycodone, oxycotton, uh, Tylenol threes. I even had fentanyl lollipops, which oh, was, I remember those. Which yeah. was the only thing that kind of made me feel good. So I, no, I just I told him I said, man, just cut the damn thing off. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of fucking with it. Man, so many
0: amputees and all the guys I knew said that the best decision they ever made was well, getting their leg taken off because it allowed them to get a prosthetic, and it, once they got the prosthetic, you now they had so many different types of prosthetics they could kind of get back to living life and doing what they do best. It's just,
1: and, and you know that's true, man. It, you know, but you know at the end of the day, it's it's still like uh, when you lose a limb, it's still like losing a family member. You know, it's Been I, there the whole life. I mean, you love your leg, you know, you love your arm, you love whatever the hell you lose and um, but it was just the best decision I had to make because I had no other option. I mean my options were like fuse it straight, be an in invalid, go on social security, never work a job again, type stuff. And I was just like, Man, just cut it off, I'm gonna take my chances and go with it, you know. And no, it was a tough decision. I mean that the day I woke up in the hospital bed. I mean i'm I'm not kidding you, man it's kind of it's kind of stupid but uh when I woke up after the surgery I uh, I closed my right eye and I looked at my left leg and it was all there then I slowly panned my head over to the right and there my leg was missing under the sheet all love and you're like fuck all right different day different world different time starting over um so, I mean, you know, to all the amputees out here that 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 out there that are listening to it, yeah, I get it. I mean, every day being an amputee sucks. It's just uh, you put the thing on, you don't think about it, and you go on with life, you know. But you never let it slow you down, man. I remember when I first got to the second division. Like, so,
0: in walks this young, very handsome.
1: Handsome. Energetic, young black guy. Blacker in, <laughs> in his microphone right <laughs> what, here. What's
0: your nickname for me? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah well, No, you know the nigga. What do you call me? tact t- t- Black?
1: No, oh, well, that wasn't my nickname. <laughs> Dude, you, that t- was the
0: nickname you gave
1: me. Dude, you're That's tact, Black. That son, black. You brother, you're in his microphone.
0: Oh, you I ain't seen yeah. me when I was in Iraq, brother. No, I've seen your yeah. pictures. Yeah, you've seen the pictures, but yeah.
1: yeah, yeah but there was the, no shades in it.
0: I'll tell you about, I was a different race of
1: black. Mm. <laughs> still sexy as can be. I'm, so oh, I'm glad you didn't think so. <laughs>
0: You <laughs> <laughs> must be my daddy.
1: <laughs>
0: uh huh. Yeah. So you know, in walks this young rookie. I wasn't even a rookie. I was a trainee at the time. So I remember I was in the academy I joined the LMPD, and I believe November two thousand nine. And then Derby Derby twenty ten rolls around. Uh-huh. I, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, so I get my assignment. And, hey, you're going to be at gate two A. At that, was, that was mm-hmm. Gate 2. Yeah, Gate 2. I'll never forget. On Central Avenue. Central Avenue, right? yeah. And so I remember we walk, I walk up to the gate, and I see this officer standing there. And I was, dude, I ain't gonna lie, I was terrified. I was like, man, I don't know this dude. I'm a, I'm not even a rookie. I'm a trainee. I don't have a gun. I got a uniform on. I didn't have a gun. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, not just, it. Hey. Go control traffic and pretend Mm. like you're the police. You better do some of them good looks. (laughs) (laughs) Because you ain't got nothing else. So I walk up, introduce myself, and then we just start chatting. I had no clue this guy was an amputee. But I just knew he was my sergeant for the day. And the next thing you know, we just literally hit it off. And I I didn't want to do or say anything because I was afraid. If I did or said anything wrong, mm-hmm. I was going to get back to the academy staff, and that was going to be my black ass. I remember, <laughs> but man, this dude—he the one thing I remember was Kev was you were like, you know what? Let's see what you made of. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know what? Whenever we come across something here, you are going to handle it, all right? All I was right, like, all right. <laughs> all right. Now, I remember there's this drunk white lady that came up. She was so drunk that she was stumbling. this one, huh? Oh, well, it was me. There was many <laughs> But she was the one that made contact with us. Right. She was lost and cut off from her friends. <laughs> And she had the dried spit in the corner of her mouth, which is what man. I hate so much. I look like a crockhead. Oh, my God. It, it makes me sick to my stomach, man. <laughs> if you ever talk to me and you got dried up, spit in the corner of your mouth. Oh, my God. Just wipe, wipe it off that. first. Just wipe, it. Oh just wipe it off first. Oh, my God. keeps ah, Strings of water, son. But, yeah. Hey, I remember you, was, you just looked at me like, what you got? <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I remember. I remember. I remember. You know what? It was funny because uh, the, the guy that was in charge of me. He, uh, he knew I was a senior officer, so he's like, all right, Kevin, you're going to be in charge of this post. And I was like, all right, whatever. And he's like, you got X number of officers and X number of uh, National Guard, and you're going to be in charge of this post. And I remember I remember old Dex coming up to me, and uh, we talked for a minute, and he's like, well, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, man, go out there and frickin' direct traffic and direct people, and if you screw up, I'll frickin' tell you. But other than that... Just
0: make a decision and go with it, dude. I remember you told me, you were like, this is what you're going to be doing for the next 25
1: years of your life. You better figure (laughs) it out quick. (laughs) I was like, just go out there and do something. And if you screw up, I got your back. I promise. And legit uh, he did. He legit did.
0: He legit (laughs) did. Man, I remember I went up on this bus the buses would stop in the middle of Central Bo- uh, Central Avenue, I remember, yeah. and I had to go up on the bus and yell at people. I remember trying to pretend <laughs> I covered up my uh, holster and <laughs> wanted to know that I didn't have a
1: gun. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yo. Wish i had seen that. Oh, yeah. Hey, you
0: didn't see it. I'm glad you did. Oh, I, I was know. barking orders. Oh, but, man, it was so fun. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, because remember I, our, our, our rules that day? Our orders were nobody comes in through this gate. I don't know if you remember at the time.
1: Major no, Christophe no. came up, <laughs> right? Right. He <right. laughs>
0: let all his family in through the gate.
1: Nah, it was a it was a VIP gate. <laughs> it was a VIP. It was uh, John Calipari. Yeah, and, Calipari and, and all the horses. Grand dresser from uh, the yeah. Yep. So it was all, it was like the gate that all the stars and and VIPs went through, and uh, you know, of course, I wasn't impressed, but. You know, here how, comes the old Christopher. Oh, hey, y'all, fellas, I got my family here. At, uh, there are eighteen hundred <laughs> members. My, my
0: daughter's family. He's a Catholic. Can you let him in? I was like, <laughs> all those kids.
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's
0: i Of course, I wasn't gonna tell him no. I'm yeah. a, I'm a trainee, man. I ain't even graduated the academy. Like, hell yeah, you but, go, do what you want, man. But so, man, you know, me and him spent the next. I mean, we worked. I think it was like probably like 16 hours the first day mm-hmm. and then probably 16 hours the second day but you know what's one of the things I remember the most about that kid
1: yeah. yeah,
0: we had two National Guard guys with us I believe
1: Yeah. And the one
0: thing I remember was everybody walked past us looked at us with disgust because yeah. we were the police and this is before all the anti-police stuff in mm-hmm. current day this is 2010 when people kind of still love the police and have respect right. and these people looked at us with disgust so walked past both of us and walked up to the National Guard and was like, hey, we love y'all. Thank you for your service. Okay. In the back of my mind, my ego and my pride was kind of hurt. I was like, hold up. Like, girl, I'm a Purple Heart veteran. You don't even know. Uh, don't even <laughs> like, know. this dude was in the Marine Corps. And, I was, and that was, you know, that was my first first experience as a cop. But I remember you told me, this would be the greatest job you'll ever have. But it will also be the most thankless job you will ever do. And you were 100% right, my uh-huh. brother. You did not lie.
1: Oh man, we the the number of people that cops help on a daily basis is is, is just something you never see on you'll you never see on the news. I mean, I mean, news, I mean, good cops don't make good news. You know, I mean, never. it's like bad cops and bad politicians. Man, it's, that's the most exciting news you'll ever get. But no, nah, Dex, I, I saw something in you at the time, and uh, I saw your insecurities being a cop, and I was like, man, just get your ass out there, and drug traffic, and don't let anybody get run over, and if you <laughs> do something stupid, I'll tell you, you know, but other than that, um, no, it was, nah, man.
0: You I mean, even wrote me
1: a letter of accommodation,
0: an email to the academy staff, man, I remember I printed it out, because I was like, you know what, I might not ever, might not ever do anything good <laughs> in this job again. So I better print this out and hold on to it, man. <laughs> and, uh, I remember, like, uh, so I think it was Sergeant Kessinger at the time. Chad man. Kessinger came up to me. He's like, "Man, good work, good man. work, crew." And I was
1: like, right, "I'm doing something right at least." No, I was just, I mean, no, I mean, you
0: know, that's,
1: you know, that's, um, that's what the police department really lacks. For all you CEOs on the police department that are listening to this, I mean, man, don't just, just freaking write a letter of accommodation, write a letter of appreciation. It doesn't hurt a damn thing. It might take 10 minutes out of your life, you know. It might take 10 minutes out of your lunch. But when you see one of your officers doing something, I mean, no, it's not. You know what, people I get people get so wrapped up on, well, that's the, that's the police's job. That's what they're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, man, I mean, as a CO, just freaking write a letter, man. Say, good job. I appreciate what you did. You know, you did a hell of a job on this or that or whatever. And uh, that, that doesn't happen to me. You know, anymore. I don't. I, I think don't, anybody's afraid to do anything to give the police some sort of clout, and then I think that's the kind of thing of leadership as well. You yeah, just just because of the time we're in, man. No, you know, my my, my style of leadership was, um, and it's always been. You know, I, my first job as a as a leader was supervisor at UPS. I was nineteen years old. I was a load. I was uh, out on the ramp, and nineteen years old. I was the youngest load supervisor at UPS, and. And, you know, people just, the only thing people want to hear is a thank you, man. A thank you. Legit, yes. Put in the letter, freaking write them thank you and be done with it. I mean, it's its just not that big of a deal. But, you know, I've, I've always, as a leader, I've always just wanted to empower people. Empower them. I'm not going to sit over and look over your shoulder. And it's kind of like what I told you that one day, man. Go out there and direct traffic. And you if you screw up, I'll freaking correct it, okay? But just go out there and do your thing. Do what you think's right. Use your own damn brain. And and, and just empower somebody. To just go do your damn job. Use your I, brain. And I'll be 100% honest. You really
0: did empower me. I don't know if you realize that. but So I remember when I initially got to the second division and I got to my platoon once I was so low. And I remember I was like, hey, who's going to be my sergeant? I was like, Kevin chooses going to be a sergeant. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Mm. And so I remember... It was a weird incident, man. Some kid had got his phone taken and the mom and dad had tracked the phone, pinged the phone to the house over off of I think Southern Avenue. Right. And I didn't know what to do. And I remember I picked up the phone Yeah. Like, I'm going to call my supervisor. I called, I was like, hey, Sarge, what am I supposed to do? He, <laughs> I remember he told me, he's like, what are you supposed to do? He's like, hey, look, you're a grown-ass man with a gun and a badge. Uh, yes. Yeah, figure family. it out. He's like, I love you, but don't ever call me again for something like this. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, use your resources. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I am so glad you did that because that actually forced me to think, mm-hmm. think critically, think through all my training, think through all, you know, case law, what I can do and such. And I still couldn't come up with answers because I was so new. And so I used my resources. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna call a line a, 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 a patrol officer. That's not a sergeant. That's got some time and experience. Mm-hmm. And I remember I called Chuck Cooper yep. and Chuck, an old Chuck man. He had re, he's a retired sergeant from Louisville Police. Louisville. He was, he was my sergeant. He was your sergeant. He was my sergeant. Yeah, was my sergeant,
1: right? yeah. yeah. He was. yeah. And so
0: he retired. and He came back to Louisville mm-hmm. Metro Police. He was a, me was a. It was a. was a patrol officer. Yeah. I called Chuck man. He helped me and worked me through it. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, he didn't give me the answers. He gave me possibilities and made me think about what I could do. Right. And you no, know, we didn't end up getting the phone back. Because we did we, it was a busy night working in the second man. We sure. didn't have time to get a search warrant and go through the ping, but because this wasn't a micromanaging type bid where, hey, this is what you're gonna do. It was like, no, you're an adult, you're an officer. You have the power in your hands to take somebody's life, to take somebody's freedom. You need to be able to work through these things and figure out what you're gonna do. Yep. Use your discretion. And and I, I still remember that because I was so thankful at the end of that. At first, I, I wasn't happy going through it because I was stressing the hell out like, <laughs> oh, my God. Right. And, <laughs> I was thinking, my mom I'm going to get fired because I'm not going to get this phone. But yeah. that wasn't the case. But that was just me being young and being on probation, like wanting to make the right choice. But, man, I don't know. Like, you had such an impact on me that just that one conversation in that phone call. We'll never, I love you, but don't
1: ever call me again. For <laughs> yeah, well, you yeah, yeah, figure it out. <laughs> man, I, I probably said that a thousand times as a sergeant. Man, I love you, but you got a gun and a badge. You're, you're a grown ass person. man. <laughs> figure it out. So, and you need to figure it out because this is stupid. And, um, you know, if you can't, if you're going to call me every damn time you got to make this kind of decision, then you, you might as well not be a cop exactly you know, use your brain use your common sense and I mean and, and you know and I think I think with with you buddy I mean you know brand being new you wanted a positive outcome with everything and uh, I think it was also a good lesson that man I mean we you know there's just not always a positive outcome as God. No, you know, I mean, you can only control so much. You had no right to go in their house. You had no right to 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 kick down a door. You had, you know, the Constitution says we can and can't do, and and um, all you could do is ping that phone as close as you can get, and and, and that's not even an accurate ping, man. It
0: just gives you. An approximate yeah. oh, location. Oh yeah, that was back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was an approximate. I was like, it was within like maybe what 25 50 meters. Right. Yeah, right. It could have been the house to the left. Oh,
1: yeah. Could have to the hours. right. Yeah, and I was just
0: like, no clue. And I was like, mm-hmm. hey man, sorry about your phone, but don't lose your shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I
1: mean, and that you know, that's lesson to him. But you know, no, I just I you know, I just always wanted my my officers. You know, number one, I always thought of them as my kids, so I always treat them like my kids, my own kids. I got a twenty-one and twenty-five year old, and, and uh, you know, I just think for yourself, man. Use critical thinking, and some problems you can solve, some problems you can't. You know, and, and if you don't know how to solve it, call somebody yeah.
0: that's been got more experience and more time in to help you. But don't, but don't keep calling dad. Yeah, don't, yeah, that's. He's like, I got other shit. He's like, I got other shit to worry about. I got to, you know, leave requests. Yeah. I got to do, you know, the
1: time book. I got to do all and the, the paperwork. I mean, don't be. I mean, okay, yeah, yeah. So it was a hostage situation or a homicide or, you know, something like that, that. right? But, but Literally. you know, when it's something like that, don't don't call that. You know, figure it out yourself. you're a grown ass family. <laughs> going to back. so
0: you sent me on the right course. Well, that man. Was, my, uh, that yeah. was my. That was my. That was my saying, and that was a good saying, man. So, you know, I continue on in my career. Mm-hmm. and So at this time in my life, if you all listen to the podcast, you know my history. I'm on my third marriage. At this time, I was in the midst of my second marriage. Mm-hmm. And it was going bad. Right, you yep. Y'all know it was going bad because I've told you. And you know what? And It was right after my mom's, after my mom's suicide. You had a lot of shit going on. I did. You know, I really did. Yeah, a lot of stress. And I was a maniac at work. I'm not going to tell the whole story about me at work messing up. I'll give some insight because I want to say it before the book. But oh, okay, it, it, but, I was going to
1: say it. But I, I no, no,
0: uh-huh. I'm going to say some things. Like I was messing up in ways
1: you should not be messing up as an officer. I remember not. I was, you know, but like, I, let me let me say this. You weren't messing up where you hurt other people. You you freaking did anything ethical or immoral or violate anybody's rights. You were just simply messing up tactically. Tactically, as an officer, I was
0: putting myself in a bad spot. Yeah, exactly. and I was putting my partners in a bad spot, right? Because I was just operating <laughs> willy nilly. I literally, I was tombstone courage. So I remember there was a incident that happened at the Thorntons on on uh, Dixie and Hill. And I remember I was going <laughs> code three. <laughs> He's like because you already know. And I remember I just cut the side my siren off. I was like, I'll just go lights, no siren, to this run. And so we get there, we yeah. handle the incident, and we leave. And then you come up to me, and he's like, Hey, Pitts, I was like, What's up, Sergeant? What's the uh, policy say about? It? When do we go code two? And I remember I tried <laughs> to be so clever. And I was like, Yeah, hey, well, you know, when the situation is not as pertinent, you know, you need to get
1: there, but you, you know, you could you could get there, but you can you can go code two. He was like, yeah, your asshole got big trying to pull that one. Out. <laughs> there ain't no such thing as a Coke 2. There's no such thing as a Coke 2. <laughs> there ain't no Coke 2. Don't let him trick you. There ain't no Coke uh, 2. There code was too. no code
0: 2, ladies and gentlemen. He was going, light, or he was he going, just going lights. Lights,
1: hauling ass, light. man, Dixie Highway. There was a traffic stop, and I'm like, <coughs> and we had already called on the radio, man. and We're like, nah, we got it. We're good. We got enough officers here and uh, he comes flying down the road with his lights on, and I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is this guy doing? And Pitts pulls up, and uh, I'm like, hey, and that's when I asked him, I said, tell me about Code 2. That's what co 2 would be. And he's like, oh, uh, tap dance, tap dance, tap dance.
0: You weren't very good at it. I was, I was like, horrible. Uh, I was trying to be a bullshit artist, and mm-hmm. I was not, brother. <laughs> you know, and yeah, so, my life was literally spiraling out of control yep. and, th- and this is the biggest incident I'm going to talk about this because and
1: I was yet. I didn't I didn't really know the full impact of how bad it was spiraling out of control he did not know what was going on but he knew something was wrong with me when this incident I ended. did because I knew you before from Central Avenue and I knew yep. what kind of person you were I knew you were genuine squared away you had your shit together yeah. and yeah. Then, now all of a sudden I'm seeing this guy that's um, half ass and shit and kind of Reckless, like I said, not to the community, but to other officers and himself. You know, I remember it you know? was the call
0: we got, and I said, this is going to be in the book, but I feel like it's important to know, because I feel like this was the event that triggered you to say something to me, was that we got a call one night that it was a hostage, hostage situation over on, I believe, Nakatapa. It was a Narragansett. Yeah, it was one of the smaller hey, ones. Yeah, yeah. A kid called and said, hey... My dad and my mom are arguing. I'm sitting I'm in the closet. Oh, my God, my dad just shot and killed my mother. And I remember upon hearing that, my mind kind of went blank, and I started thinking about my mom's suicide in that situation. I should have been thinking about the incident I was getting ready to go into. I wasn't. and like I said, I'm not, not going to make an excuse oh, for that. Oh, you, I mean, you mean
1: cops are actually human. And oh, our, yeah. We have our own emotions. Oh, yeah. That control things we do outside of police yep. work. You know, the funny thing is, when I, remember, I remember my first trainer, Paco, he told
0: me, mm-hmm. before you get in this car, he's like, where's your headache? He's mm-hmm. like, do not get in this car if your mind is not on because you're going to get yourself killed or somebody else killed. With a the Spanish my accent kill. from Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that Puerto Rican, that thick Puerto, Puerto Rican accent, Yeah, yeah but yeah. So I remember pulling up to this house mm-hmm. and thinking, man, this kid's mom just got... Shot killed by in front of him, and I remember getting out my Remington 870 shotgun. I racked it, I put one in the chamber, and I took off the safety. And the this worst part is, I was the first officer on scene. I was alone. The hell am I thinking about making this approach by myself? I wasn't thinking. Man, I remember walking up to that, running up to that house, and I tripped, and I had my finger in the trigger well on the trigger. Boom! Freaking AD with my shotgun into the ground. And, I, and in that moment, I knew I was like, well, part of my language, but I, literally I said to myself, I just fucked up. <laughs> and I knew I was I just fucked yeah. up. <laughs> and the worst part is there was nobody there. And I knew I was like, I at some point, I'm either going to have to lie about this and keep quiet or I'm have to tell somebody about this. Mm-hmm. And, and so I get up to the house. I make my approach. Other, you know, my backup comes. Man, we go, we search this entire house. Man, this was a prank freaking call. A prank call. Yep. And my dumb ass. <laughs> my dumb ass. Oh, man, I was so mad. And so I remember having to break the news and tell, you know, I told you and I told the other guys what happened and I was just like, no. And I ain't a lie, man. I really, I just kind of shook it off. I didn't care at the point in time. But I was just in such a bad space mentally. You know, finding out my wife at the time was cheating on me. My mom had just, you know, shot killed herself. My sister ran off a life insurance policy, $265,000. Hey, I, I was literally just, I was blank. I really didn't care. I remember coming to roll call and laughing and joking about it. Yep. Like it was no big deal. Yeah, that's what set me off. That's what set, yo, <laughs> that's what set the one-legged FPT off. Yeah. So I remember he, I remember if it was a call or a text. I think it was a call. He said, hey, meet me at Thornton's on Cane Run Road. Mm-hmm. So I'm driving down the court, Thornton's on Cane Run Road. And we go car to car. And I remember you ripped into my ass something awful. I did. Awful. I did. <laughs> it was like being in boot camp or something
1: <laughs> And you know, and the thing is, I don't, you know, like I said, I love you all as my kids. And I, I was just like, what the hell is going on? You know, you're an army vet, you're a cop. I know you know how to handle, right- we know weapon. how to handle weapons. We know how to handle shotguns. ADs accidental discharges are unacceptable. And I, I just remember, um, I guess I, you reached that point and you broke down. Man, with, I, I remember I and, man, I had been holding that shit in, and you start. Like I mean, so you what the fuck is going on? I asked you, and um, you proceeded to. I cried, dude. I cried like a. No, he proceeded day. to yell at me and. Tell me, and I just sat there, I, you know, I, just, I sat there and listened, because for all you folks out there, the number one skill in life is a listening skill, and I just sat there and listened to him. I, I listened to everything he had to say. I, man, I, to I um, thought I had lost mm-hmm.
0: your respect in everything forever, because I remember the one thing you told me that really hurt me and made me ashamed of myself was, he's like, man, I wrote you this email this great email, and I told everybody about you. I bragged about you, about how good of a cop you were going to be, mm-hmm. how awesome you were going to be. This guy's going places, this career. Yeah. And then you come here. Put my word put on the line. Yeah, put my word on the line. And you make me look like an idiot mm-hmm. because I was singing your praises and you were doing the exact opposite. Man, that crushed my soul. That's when I started crying because the, I looked up to you so much. And I was just like, man, the only person I got in my life right now, at this moment, is this dude this guy, this sergeant, and I just let this dude down. I was like, there's no way I'm going to regain this man's respect. You know, I I feel like I, it was treason because I felt like I betrayed you, man. I I was crushed, and there was nobody else in my life. And see, what he didn't know at the time was, man, I was struggling so deep mentally. I didn't. You you did not know that. That's the whole tough guy mentality that we talk about Mm -hmm. with cops and military where... I'm gonna suffer in silence. And I remember. I can't remember how long it was before that incident, but I was sitting in the FOP parking lot. And I remember I had my Glock in my lap, and I was ready, ready to put the Glock to my head and pull the trigger and end my suffering because I no longer. I just didn't want live. I, mean, I lost my mother. My sister ran. You no, know, sister ran off with the money. My wife was cheating on me. You know, my dad. I had no relationship with him and because of an incident between him and my mother. I wasn't talking to my dad's family, and I didn't want to look weak in front of everybody.
1: Right. I mean, I didn't want to look
0: like a bitch. I was like, you know what? I'm a Purple Heart veteran, man. I'll be able to make it through this. And, and you, I just literally couldn't. I couldn't. I broke and I snapped. And you know, the, I'll tell you this one thing, Kev. The one thing with working the riots this last year has always been. I always hear these protesters come up to me, like, "Black man, let me tell you something about these people. You, these white boys you're working with, man. Let me tell you something." These white boys don't care about you. Man, they're going to put themselves before you every time. And, and every time they told me that, when I was on working the riots on the line, the skirmish line last year, my mind instantly goes back to that night, me and you talked. And, and then it goes back to, man, where you and I went, went to talk to Major Christofek in the office. And I think Bates was there as well. And, and man, you all... This is what leadership is, ladies and gentlemen. The leadership on the PD used to be they, 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 I was still on probation. They literally did not need a reason to fire me. They could have just been like, your ass is done. Get out of here. But my command staff was all white. Man, they came around me. They loved on me. And I remember Major Christofek asking me, Dex, what is, that? what is it that you need from this? What do you need? Because we know you're better than this. Yep. Your reputation is better than this. What do you need? And I didn't know what the hell I needed. I really didn't. And because my mom died August 29th, I think I took like maybe a week off. Yep. And this is a horrible, tragic <clears throat> situation. She died in front of me while I was pretty much on duty. Mm-hmm. She shot and killed herself, and I had to take her off life support in my uniform. And, and I just pretended willy-nilly like, oh, I'll be okay. I'll go back to work next week. I ain't not want to deal with it. You know, but
1: we just, I think the three of us, we just...
0: You know, and I told
1: him, this, I, you know, I told him, I've I worked with this guy. This guy's a good, good kid, you know. I mean, they're all my kids. And I uh, said, so this guy, he just, uh, he's got a lot of shit going on. I said, I don't know that you and I, any of us could do the same shit and uh, be sane, irrational. But at the end of the day, this guy's a great guy. And, um, you know, this, this isn't something, nobody got hurt. Nobody got troubled. It wasn't any immoral or in ethical or illegal or nothing happened, you know. And, uh, you know, this guy, I've talked to him. I think I've gotten to him. And um, just let's give him a little time off, get his shit together, and uh, come on back. And he'll be a good cop. And you know what, Dexter, you've been a great cop. That's um, I'm uh, best. I've heard that from a lot of people. You're a great cop, you know. Um, a good cop is objective, and and uh, you know you're not always trying to put handcuffs on somebody. I mean, if we can talk our way out of a situation, we can help the situation without arresting somebody. I mean, that's just who you are as a person. So I, you know, I just I didn't see, and I can't say that honestly and sadly after I became a sergeant, I can't say that for for every person that was ever a recruit under me. There was some guys that just didn't need to be a police officer and Some uh, females, we, all. <laughs> we tried uh, you know, we tried everything we could to get rid of them because they were a danger they they're, you know I mean it's my badge it, you know I take even even being retired now I've been retired two years and you know I tried to always do everything right. I tried to always help people. And protect the, protect always the profession. Try right, protect That's the right. profession, yeah. protect but the more badge. importantly, protect the community and citizens, and be fair. And you know, and now, you know, now we just we have these idiots. I'm sorry, on the police department that probably don't need to be there. But uh, you weren't one of them, and I knew that you had a lot of potential, and you were going to do great things, and you have gone on to do good things. You know, I I cannot, man. I'm telling you,
0: brother, I cannot thank you enough for caring about me enough and loving me to rip my ass apart. I, I can honestly say I think that if you wouldn't have done that to me and approached me and cared about me enough, I probably would have ended up going down the road and
1: doing something and
0: taking my own
1: life. Man, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I I didn't say anything to you that I wouldn't have told my own kids. Yeah, you didn't I mean, know. Pretty much, get your head out of your ass. You know. Uh, and but it did. I mean, I do remember saying that now. That about like, man. I you know, I don't put my reputation online for many people at all. I don't vouch for many people at all. I mean, probably a dozen people in the last you know fifteen years. But um, but I was like, you know what? I, I I said you're a good guy. You're a good officer. Don't freaking embarrass me. But I tell my kids the same thing. You know, go out in this world, do great things. Don't freaking embarrass that me. That last
0: name means something, man. Yeah,
1: don't embarrass me. You know, it's uh, my you know, my last name being trees, man. You know, it's 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 not a very common name, so don't go out there and embarrass me. You know, uh, I'm not going to deal with it. And you it, if well. you do, suck it up, cupcake, because I'm not helping you. You know, I'm raising <sighs> my kids at the same
0: standard, brother. Now and you, you have to these days. Like the only yeah. thing you have in this world is really your name. Yeah. You, know, you could do a million yeah. things, but man, if you do something to tarnish your last name, it, like you could, I, and this is what I tell people, even especially nowadays, getting killed in the line of duty is not my biggest fear. Mm. If I get shot and killed in the line of duty, my family's going to be well off. They're right. going to get an insurance policy. I'll get the, you know, the big funeral, the bagpipes, and all that. And right. I'll get, you know, the. I agree. Oh, you get all the glory. All the glory. That's what I was trying to do, honestly. I was trying to get somebody to kill me with my, being reckless as an officer working in the streets so that because I didn't have the courage to kill myself, so if somebody would kill me, that guy would be a scumbag and I would be I would die a hero right. I would die in the blaze of glory yeah. but now that's that's not what scares me. what scares me is bothers me is me doing something stupid, not even intentionally I wouldn't do intentionally do anything dumb, but oh. dying. And having my last name tarnished,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and having my family, to and my kids, to live with that last name. Right. And oh, what's your name, Pitts? Oh, your dad's that one cop. Mm-hmm. Like that's that terrifies me. Right. That is that is what makes me do the right thing because I, it's not about me. It's about my legacy and my children. I don't want them to have to live with the shame of having a father that did something stupid and you know hurt somebody or. Shame the badge. He might not have been stupid. Well, that, and that 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 incident was, but that's why I operate the way I do now, yeah. with so much integrity and try to be truthful and go above and beyond the help. I mean, people. I used to
1: tell my wife all the time, "Look, honey, that, you know, if I ever get shot and killed, it's because somebody just got to jump on me. They ambushed me. It's, it's not because I was looking out. Because I can promise you, I'm, you know, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do to make sure that I don't get killed, but." You know, I mean, somebody wants to kill a cop, they're going to kill a cop. Yep, it, it, it's and, your time. It's your time. Unfortunately, and people, you know, people don't get that. It's you know, cops like everybody else. You know, we have to have a time in our lives during our day that we we try to relax, we try to put down our guard, we try to uh, you know eat eat lunch or whatever. But but um, mm-hmm. you know, somebody wants to kill a cop, they're, they're going to kill a cop. They're going to kill a cop. Man, it's man. like anybody else. I mean, we want to go kill somebody or we'll go kill somebody. You know? Man, I, I,
0: I want to say right here on the podcast, Kev, you are definitely my brother, man. I love you. And I cannot thank you enough. Oh, you're definitely my <laughs> little brother. I <laughs> cannot thank you enough for having the courage and for seeing that there was a person that was struggling sure, that needed help, man. Because, you know, it, that's what I tell people all the time on this podcast is it's always the tough guys mm-hmm. that everybody thinks is like, this guy's this and that. He's big and bad. He's done this and that. And then when they end up killing themselves, we're all left wondering, why? What happened? Because we have to carry on this facade of being tough and, you know, I got it all together. And none of us does, man. We're humans, dude. No, and I think, you know, a lot of
1: cops and a lot of military, you know, we all have that facade. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're we're the protectors. You know, we're trained. We're... uh,
0: you we know, don't call nine one one. We're supposed
1: to, right? It's it's us that's saving the world. You know what I mean? I I can't tell you how many times I've been so proud to watch dozens of cops run towards gunfire. You know, um, it, that's just something that most people don't do. And either know, it's, it's in you or you're not. It's not. Man. Huh? It's, it's either it's in you or it's not. No, and I mean it's. You know, I was I was on Thirty Second Street back in twenty twelve. Oh. The, that, the, yeah the tyson men shooting that was um those were my people that shot him i mean i was right there i was two cars behind them you know i mean it's my stuff. classmate bait him. and uh yeah and and everybody just ran towards gunfire and you know it's it's
0: on the outside looking in you're like oh my god you're an idiot you're
1: freaking running towards gunfire but but you know there's that's what that's what we do you know that's what people with our mindsets do we did it in the military we did it on the police department. And, you know, there's something to be said for those guys. You know, I know police aren't in the favorable light these days, but can you imagine a world without 98% of the good cops that we have? We're you know? getting close, man. Because I'm, I'll tell you what, I'll call a spade a spade. If there's a bad cop, there's a bad something, I'll, I'll freaking tell you. Yes, sir. I don't. I, you know, even as a sergeant. I don't support that shit I don't I don't support you faith. never did and you never tolerated any foolishness that's I why I like working for I you I don't you know I, I don't tolerate cops that did shit immoral ethical illegal, legal cowardice uh, cowardice of, of racist cops no you can just you're done I'm, I'm gonna make sure you're done um, you know it's just we're out there to help people and if you're not out there to help people I'm gonna do everything I can to fire your ass yeah, I'm right there with you and that's and that's what I did and unfortunately, the problem right now is that there's so few people wanting to be a cop. Yeah, I think they had 15 in the last class. Man. 15 people. And the problem is, you have to put an ass in a police car. So whether it was a guy from Walmart or the military veteran and no one else wants to apply, you have to put a butt in a police car. You have to. Yeah. They have to make the runs. They have to patrol and that forces us when we don't have people to lower the standards. So,
0: we so, go with quality, quantity over quality. Right. Yeah. And, and the community suffers for that.
1: They do. They do because they're suffering for it now. <laughs> we're getting people that, um, and I mean, I'll go on record saying this to the chief and everybody else. I mean, the, the people that we're getting are not the, the same quality about, uh, let me let me rephrase that. About 50% of the people we're getting now when I was a sergeant and going through all the trainings about half of them were good officers. The other half, they just need to go, you know. They need to leave. They need to they need to get off the, you know, get off the force. But let me ask you this: In your opinion, in your what you did, what
0: twenty plus years? I did twenty one years. Twenty one years. Yeah. In your twenty one years of experience, what makes somebody a good cop versus a bad cop? Because I, I am going to eventually do a podcast on this because. There's great cops, well, good cops, bad cops, on and corrupt cops, which is, everybody thinks bad cops are corrupt. That's not the same. A good good cop. cops have bad days, but, you, but Man, corruption is a big difference. Everyone has bad
1: days. Yes. A good cop, number no one, shut the hell up and listen. Just shut the hell up and listen. You know, don't show up with a badge. Just, you called me, what's your problem? You know, I mean, obviously you called me for a reason. Um, y'all, you and whoever else am having problems <laughs> trying to figure out the problem so you know just show up and listen man I mean just listen don't go right to okay what law is being broken and what's a, because like I said you know eight times out of ten when I showed up to runs, I didn't arrest anybody I mean hell I used to show up to domestics where two people were fighting and uh, they were throwing shit at each other but nobody got hurt and and uh, nobody got threatened, and, and I would I would tell this young couple, I remember this young couple on uh, on 23rd Street, um, they are just fighting and going on and on, been married a year and a half, and I'm like, look, there was no crimes committed, nobody got hurt, and I was like, look, I can't leave until y'all kiss and make up. So I stood there until I made them kiss and make up. <laughs> true story, and, they, and I, never, I never went back there again. Because they just needed somebody to go, Hey, this is stupid. You know, I pulled the guy aside and I said, Hey, you know how women are and then I pulled the woman aside and I said, Hey, you know how guys are you know, this is normal shit. So just kiss and make up, go to sleep and, and do your thing. But you know, the the number one thing for a good cop is just, just show up and listen, man. Try show up and try to help. Don't show up and try to figure out how to arrest somebody. You know? Um and, but the the second thing is definitely know what the hell you're talking about. You know, definitely know the laws. And it seems like, um, you know, when I was... Right before I left, the last six months before I retired as a sergeant was the, the scariest time for me because um, I had so many new officers calling me, asking me basic questions that they should have learned in the academy. And it was almost like they would take the test for a constitutional law and then they would brain dump it and go to the next thing. And, you know, unfortunately, police work, uh, aviation, medicine, those are some of the careers that you don't brain dump anything you've learned. You have to retain, you have to retain, you have to retain everything you've learned, you know. And these young kids were showing up not even knowing how to apply the law. And I'm like, this is basic shit, man. And I told them the same thing I told you. You got a gun and a badge, man, figure it out, you know, call somebody, I don't know, look it up, do something. You know, this is basic stuff that you should have learned in the academy. And we're having more and more young officers um, not doing that. You know, and that's why I studied the SOP. You know, uh, as a sergeant, I did. I, I traveled around the SOP. I, I read that thing. Uh, I wanted to make sure I understood every. Stinking thing that my guys could do and not do, and me as a sergeant, I wanted to make sure I understood the law. I wanted to make sure I understood the, you know, the the, the, the rules of the game. And and you did every time I saw you, man. You and were people just don't do that. Taking that SOP book, I did, but I mean that's but but you know, you're going to call me as a sergeant. I better have the right answer, you know. And if it's something stupid, I'm going to say, tell you go figure it out, you know. Yeah, well,
0: let me ask yeah. you this.
1: The one thing I like about
0: our, I wouldn't even call it a friendship, man. This is family, man. Like, mm-hmm. you, know, you got a 52 year old white guy. Your kids <laughs> and your wife are over yeah. now Yeah, you know, Y'all probably heard my kids tapping on the window mm-hmm. earlier, so excuse us. You got a 52 year old white man from Florida. You have me, a 37 year old black guy from. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was 25 when you met me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. I know. Get it? Shit. <laughs> There, you <laughs> know, 100% disabled veteran, baby. Mm. Me, I'm a 37-year-old black guy from Kentucky, you know, with family roots in Mississippi. And, you know, if you listen to the news and the media and everything, you know, social media, you would think that there's just white people hate black people, black people hate white people. And that is not the case. So when I came back home last year, after going to the Border Patrol in Island, Arizona, I came back here. I didn't know where I was going to stay until I could go and get my family. I was talking to Kev and trying to figure out, you know. I didn't even ask him to come stay at his place. He's like, you know what? You're coming to stay with me. You're going to stay in our guest room. Mm-hmm. So lo and behold, my black ass was chilling out here in Mount Washington
1: yeah.
0: in this nice-ass neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to do that. But it, it drives me crazy when I hear people, because he's white, say that automatically assume that he's racist or because he's from Florida that he's racist right. where well, they don't even know this man they don't know him, they don't know me they don't know our connection and uh, this is my biggest thing is just, I wish people would just get out and talk to each other man, mm-hmm. and just stop looking at black and white yes, okay, yeah we're black we're white, we are we are all people but at the end of the day what's your character
1: and no, I, I feel mean, like
0: I'm- that is what has set me and you On this path to where we are now, man, to where I feel like we're just both two good dudes. We have, we look different on the outside, but we have a lot of the same values and morals. And we're both going in the same directions in life. And I'm looking at you at how you've lived your life, taking cues from you, how you raised your kids. And I'm trying to do that to my kids. And, you know, and your kids are white. My kids are black. But that don't matter because I'm raising my, I see how your kids have turned out. You have done wonderful, man. You have raised great kids. And I want to do that. And so, the whole notion I hear now is, I'm raising strong black children. I'm like, I'm just raising good children.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't want my kids' identity to be in their skin color. It doesn't matter. You could get in a fire and lose your skin
1: color. Guess what? And who are you? Who are you? Right. Who, you, know, you? I, you know, I just, I think, I think <clears throat> in today's society, we're getting so wrapped up with skin color that we're not even actually looking at people, you know. I, I mean, I saw Dexter. I saw you as, as a young guy that was really struggling. That's, what, that's all. That's all I saw you as. You're as black as my damn microphone when I'm You know, I didn't see. And, I, and you know, the funny part is, you know, everybody wants to look at black, white, Asians, um, whatever. You know, and it's like you know Jews or whatever. And you know, we yeah, we all have. We all have these stereotypes. And you know, the funny part is, all these stereotypes, a lot of them are true. But you know what? The thing is, people, you know, we we keep trying to pound in everybody's head. Everybody needs to be equal. We all need to be the same. We all need to be the same. But you know what? The problem is that everyone's culture is different in a little bit of ways. Everyone's culture is just different. The black culture is different than the white, than the Asian, than the European. It's just a little bit of different culture. If, you know, I, you know, I traveled the world, go to Europe and 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 wave or smile or put your middle finger up or whatever. You know, there's different cultures, man.
0: And there's subgroups and, in different cultures. Like, well, are you black? Yeah, of course I look at me. I'm black as hell. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm black. But, man, I'm a black dude. I did not grow up in the hood. But I grew up in the military. Yeah. Like I said, right. my family is from Mississippi. My parents were picking cotton. I was not raised to sag my pants. Man, I wasn't really allowed to listen to hip-hop music. I grew up in the church. And so it's, I always find it funny when I'm in the hood, you know, across mm-hmm. 9th Street, and I'm talking to black dudes. Hey, bro, you know how it is in the hood, dog? I'm like, I, I, sir, I, honestly, I, I don't. I, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> do I'm sorry. I understand the struggle you might be talking about with, right. you know, dealing with racial stuff. But that happens everywhere, man. And it, it happens across the globe with everybody. Yeah. With different groups that interact with each other. You know, but... You know, I, we are all different. Like I say you people see my skin color and automatically assume because I'm black, like a certain set of music, or yeah. you know, I, I look at white people a certain set of way. But that's not true. And we just painting everybody with this broad brush stroke of you're black, you're in this category. No, I am black. I will never deny. No, I think, but-
1: I think society is so kind of plugging people into different categories. You know, whether it be liberal. Or, or conservative, black, white, whatever it is. We I love boxes, man. That you know, it's just, but it's not, man. It's and uh, the day, um, the day our country wakes up and realizes, you know what, Asians are different than whites, they're different than blacks, and you know, and some of the stereotypes that we laugh and play with that are in movies or whatever else. You know, and they're tr- some of them were true. What movie
0: were we talking about earlier? Oh, about Undercover our, Brother, what Undercover what a, Brother. What a great movie, man! I love it. Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles. God, I try to, imagine trying to make those movies. Drinking today. juice. Uh, don't be a minute. Don't be a South Central side, drinking Just juice. juice in in the the oh my
1: God! That's <laughs> ah, so funny. But you know, in my generation, at fifty-two years old, you know, we, we laughed at the stereotypes and we moved on. We didn't. We didn't develop a hatred because of it, you know, and, and, you know, the day we finally wake up as America and realize that people are different people, and, and that, okay, so blacks and whites are going to have different nuances. It's just the way it is. It's the way our lives are, the way our cultures are, the way we've been raised. And we start accepting each other for just being people, man. Just, just for being, just for being people. You know, uh, man, you know, this, this, I met so many kids in the West and of Louisville that were such great children and they didn't have the opportunities to, uh, to go to football camps or anything like that. And, and I would, and I told them, I mean, I remember on a few occasions, look, I'll pay for your football camp. Just let your mom know. And I'll pay your 60 bucks for the weekend. Didn't you do
0: a thing with cleats as well?
1: Well, I did. Yeah, yeah. I did that too. Um, but, you know, I would, I would tell these kids, look, you know, I, I don't care what color you are, man. If you want to play football, go play football. Go be a badass. Go, you know, go go do your thing. And and they would go home and they would talk to their parents. And their parents were like, oh, no, nope, not a white cop. No, nope, not going to happen. You know, I used to, like Dexter mentioned, I, I used to put out emails uh, on the department-wide, you know, anybody got an old cleats? Anybody got any old cleats that their kids grew out of or whatever? Bring them to me, and uh, and I'll take them around and and distribute to some of these football leagues in the West End. Because you know, when I was working overtime and I was working late at night, I'd go watch the football, the kids practice football. Oh, camp. the yellow jackets over there about the division. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big football fan, so I watch these kids practice football. And some of them had tennis shoes and and just or basketball shoes and. And they're slipping all over, so, you know, I just, I, you know, I put it out on Facebook, or I put it on, I put it on Facebook too, but I put it on our department-wide email. If you got old cleats you can't wear anymore, your kids can't wear anymore, just give them to me. And I used to have boxes and boxes of cleats, and uh, nice cleats, and I would just take them, and at football practice, I would just drop them off one of the football teams, I'd say, go through them. See what your kids need. See if there's a pair that fits a kid that doesn't have a pair of clades. I mean, because these kids, man, they, they don't, these kids aren't worried about race. These kids aren't worried about who they like or don't like. These kids just want to play football. They just want to go out there and play football and have fun and, and make a touchdown, feel important, win a game. You know, and I think, I just think that with us trying to divide and trying to put black and white and conservatives and liberals into boxes that were really taken away from humanity, you know. We are. I just there's there's every you know as a white guy 52 years old I grew up in the south man I could probably count on and to be honest and I grew up in the South my whole life, I could probably count on two hands the number of white people that just hated black people for no reason. Seriously. That's a low number, considering Um, it was 52 years. And, you know, I mean, I just, and I taught my kids the same thing. I mean, I'd go into, I'd go into restaurants in Pensacola, where I'm from, and, you know the waitress would come up; and she's a black lady or whatever. And hey, know, back in town, I'd give her a big hug. And my kids are like, "What?" You know, they were wondering. I'm like, man, you know, people are just people. You know, this this woman's a waitress; she's trying to make ends meet, pay her bills like everybody else in this world. And it don't matter if she's black or white or whatever; she's still sweet. And um, I mean, there's no reason to not love everybody. If you if you're a bigot. We ain't got nothing for you, man. <laughs> simply because of your skin color, you're a shallow idiot, man. We ain't I mean, got if for if you. you're going to join the KKK or some white nationalist nationalists, or a black group <laughs> simply because of your skin color, all that tells me is you have nothing going on in your life. And the only thing you can find going on in your life is the color of your skin. You know what i and tell that's, people? And that's sad. And that's shallow. It is shallow. And I tell people. Just because all...
0: we have the same skin color, don't mean we brothers. I've heard all the protesters say all last year, all skin folk and kin folk, baby, you damn right. Because I live my life
1: by a certain set of morals and values. Sh- that that white don't... folks yeah. in Portland area, I, I thought we yeah. were idiots. I mean, yeah.
0: yeah, and then also tell
1: people. An idiot's an idiot. An idiot,
0: exactly. And I tell people, just because we wear the same uniform and had the same badge, don't mean we brothers or sisters either. Right. Because like I said there's certain standards that I expect people to have and enact and do when they put on this uniform. Yeah, and has nothing to do with the skin color. The uniform—it's who you, who are you at your core
1: when wow. nobody's around?
0: Wow. Who are you at your core when there's nobody looking? You could do something to get away with it because you got a badge. You know what?
1: I just—you know—every every life I save in the West End. Was black, but yeah, you know, I don't give. I mean, it's not like you sit there and look at them, and go, "Oh my God, they're black. I can't save them, or they're white. I can't." Say, what you know? It's just, it's called humanity, and that's what we've gotten away from. It's just, you know, people are going to be different. Everyone's going to be different. And guess what, folks? There's assholes that are black, and there's assholes that are white, white Asian, and that's ever never going to, everywhere, it's across never, the globe, never going to change. So in one hundred years. When we're having this exact same conversation, because we will, I'll be dead. Dex will hopefully be around. hundred years? I'll be one hundred and thirty-seven. I know. I hope you did I don't good, bro. know. I don't
0: think I, wanna, I don't know if I'm I to be around that give
1: long. A broke ass. Soon. <laughs> I'm telling you, folks. hundred years, we're gonna have this exact same conversation. And people always keep saying we need to have
0: a conversation, like, bro, we've been having this
1: conversation. Mm-hmm. It ain't going so, away. It'll never go away. You know, I remember. I remember. I was asked. I was on uh, Facebook one time, and. This uh, I was in this I don't remember, I was in this group or I was you know I was just whatever so this this little little girl white girl comes up and she questions you know me about what I think of Black Lives Matters and all the all the brutality and I said you know what I can't be responsible for other people but all I can be responsible is for myself and I judge a person by their character and whether they're an asshole or not. And I, and I left it at that, and she came back to me and she said, that's not good enough. And I'm like, what's not good enough? Taking, taking control of my own situation? Taking responsibility for what I think? And, and not being part of a group? You know, um, to, to protest police shootings and like police. Because some shootings aren't yeah, right. And it's okay. It's American, man. It's okay to protest uh, police brutality <coughs> and still like cops. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the things we've seen in the news lately, the guy that leaned on his neck, nope. Yeah, no. <laughs> you ain't got my support. You ain't got no love for me, man. The kid that punched the kid in the face in Louisville, nope. No support for me here. Anything like that, nope. No support for me. She shoot a guy in the back running away, nope. You're on a the fucking idiot. No, yeah. nah, so I, I mean, it's, it, it is what it is. And, yes, there is a thin blue line. And the thin blue line is about understanding. You know, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of dead people, Dexter. And the thin blue line is about me talking to you. Um, uh, a story I'll share is, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I got drunk in hell and, and uh, not feeling well. You know, PTSD from the military and the police department. And, uh, you know, my wife calls Dex, and Dex comes over at some late night, and we're talking, and, you know, and he helped me straighten it out. But, you know, I mean, it, it's a shame. Uh, there, there is, no, there is no race involved with in that. I mean, it's just... Every, I'm gonna tell you right now, working in the West End, 95% of the people I saw a day were black, and every damn one of them, Lord, and I mourn to this day. Those are my demons, and they get you. They get you when you tired and you slow down, and all you're doing is mowing grass and drinking beer. Um, they get you, because I remember the Felicia Jeffersons, and which was the the very first little girl that I ever saw. I got shot in the head. And That's you know, the one Kelsey ran to the hospital? No. That was, that was she had just got home from Kings Island and uh, there was a drive by in her house on Date Street. And she just got home and just sat down on the couch. Somebody did a drive by and uh, they were shooting at her cousin, I think it was, and shot her in the forehead. You know, we remember the so George watching, But I don't,
0: we, we, we remember the Brianna Taylors. We remember all these people that have been killed by cops, but we don't remember these people within the black community for some odd reason. And this happens on the daily.
1: So many black lives. My challenge is this. I, I will say this. I will say this. I've been, I spent my whole career in the West End, other than two years in the Air unit, and even then I was flying over top of the West End. And uh, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of dead black folks And even after Black Lives Matter kicked up and they started their movement, not one damn time did I see a Black Lives Matter flag waving over the nine-year-old that got shot through the the side or the five-year-old that got shot or or the innocent kid that got shot because his tennis shoes got stolen. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. There's no monetary value to it.
0: That's why. There's no media sensation no Media to it. sensation. I tell, I tell you, people love black dysfunction because it sells. Well, it's I mean, in the music. It's in the movies. Sure. And you know what? They listen to these music and these songs and they go out and carry out these acts and these companies sell this stuff to people and people just mm-hmm. eat it up and buy it up and they think
1: this is reality but it's not man. being a victim is, is top dollar it's very much top I mean dollar. whether you're white or black being a victim is top dollar man And like I said if, if the only thing you can identify if you become a KKK member and the only thing you can identify because you became KKK member is your white skin Brother, I'm telling you right now, you need, you need to go fucking get a hobby or something. <laughs> you ain't got nothing else in your life. You got yeah, nothing true. else meaningful in your That's life right. other than having white skin. You know it's funny? That me. you had no control <laughs> over. You're a fucking idiot. We uh, ran across this homeless
0: guy yeah. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, Wayside. And this white guy, he's homeless. He's beating up on this black dude. We approach him. You know what the first thing this dude said to us? What's that? I'm white. Me and my partner. And I was mean? like, okay. What the <laughs> hell's like, that supposed to mean? You got a trump card there, bro? All yeah. like, right. Okay. Guess what? You know what? You're going to do what I tell you to do. And if you yeah. don't, you're going to go to jail. He ain't have enough courage to drop the M bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man, but so, man, we've been going about an hour and a half, man. So before we head out, close this out, Kev, let me ask you to end this with
1: two questions mm-hmm. How did we get here and how do we move past this? Man, I just. Uh, you know, as long as people are, are not going to accept others simply by the color of their skin or their social differences, I mean, what we're, this I'm telling you right now, Dexter, this problem, you know, somebody else in 200 years is going to be having a podcast or something crazy, you know, something crazier, and that we're going to have the same conversation. Yeah, racism. Is big money, uh, you know there's a lot of lot you know on both sides uh, it it gives people identity when you have nothing else. Um, it's just It's really kind of a bad snapshot of America because what it really is showing us is that there's so many people in America, black and white, that ha- just don't have enough going on in their own lives. That they have to latch onto this. Now you know what I'm. You know, I, and I like I said, I'll be the first to say, you know, police brutality. There's a lot of cops, and and if we can't put better cops in police cars, you're going to see it get worse. You you are going to see police brutality get worse because we're not hiring enough people that have enough damn common sense. You know, when when years ago when they decided that all cops needed college degrees. Um, our, the quality of cops dropped tremendously Good. oh yeah just because simply because you have a college degree and basket weaving means you're going to be a, a better people person no it doesn't mean that and we had so many military people coming out that didn't have college degrees or two years active duty that couldn't apply but those are the guys that had their shit together you know and then they changed that to a two year college degree. Okay, well we'll give you a, we'll give you a bonus a couple of, a couple of years. But by then we had had incidents in Ferguson and Baltimore mm-hmm. and other places. And um, now we have like no standard because we have nobody that wants to do this Right. Job. So the problem is man, nobody <coughs> wants to do this profession. And and all, but I will say this whether you admit it or not, whether you're listening or not, admit this or not. There's not a soul out there that doesn't want a world without police. Because let me tell you something. If there's not a world without police, local police, the federal government comes in. Yeah. The federal government comes in, we become federalized. And now the federal government's doing shit. And I'm telling you what, you think you're going to sue the federal government? You think you're going to sue somebody, a, a rogue federal officer that beats the hell out of somebody? You're not suing anybody. Stop, Gestapo, man it becomes it becomes nazi germany and that's the problem so if there's people out there right now that want to be cops man i challenge you black or white ghetto poor rich i don't care you know if you got a good head on your shoulders and you can talk to people and you can try to fix problems not try to arrest people the goal of being a cop is not arresting people our goal is not putting handcuffs on people our goal is to help you with your problems, man. Move on. Hopefully, we'll never hear from you again. You know, I
0: tell people this a lot of times. I was like, my, yeah. job, my goal, my job is to talk people out of me having to whoop their ass. Right. Well, <laughs> legit. We're <yeah. laughs> too mean, old to be fighting now, man. You know, I mean? That's why yeah. I got a broke shoulder right now.
1: I mean, my, yeah, right. Our goal is to like talk to people out of, out of out of being arrested, man. And it's 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 not an honor, you know. It's not. It's 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 not a merit badge to be arrested. <laughs> But, um, and it's on both sides. You know, the citizens are pushing back and the the kids that we're hiring are pushing back. And I really think, honestly, and you you can put this on record as well, the generation of cops we have coming up, the young ones in their 20s, the generation of idiots we have running the streets in their 20s, they grew up on social media. They have no interpersonal communication skills they don't know how to talk to each other. So when you have a bunch of cops that don't know how to talk to each other or talk to the public, you know, talk to a complete stranger without being an asshole, and when you got these kids running around the streets that don't know how to talk to each other and solve their problems, I mean, you're going to have havoc and chaos, and that's what we're seeing now.
0: And that's going to cause more divide within the police and the community. Sure it is.
1: Because everyone needs an excuse for everything. (laughs) Everyone needs a reason. You know, anytime something happens... We look for a reason as to why something happened. You know, it's like me losing my leg. Man, I would love to you know, I can't wait to go to heaven and God tell me why I lost my leg. I c I I can't wait. Tell me please, why why I was a good person. I tried to treat everybody fair, I was a good cop, I was a good man, I was a good husband. Why did I have to lose my leg? What are you gonna do if he gives you a new one and it's a black leg? I will <laughs> run. I'll run and run and run.
0: He's gonna break the forty yard dash record. Right <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we've been going a minute. I'm going to get ready to go ahead and end this one. Man, This has been, a, since I started doing podcasts, this has been the one podcast I wanted to do with one of the people I love the most in this life. Retired LMPD Sergeant Kevin Trees, my brother. Kev, I love you, man. I love
1: you too, man, like a little brother. Yeah,
0: man. man. You're my favorite one-legged white amputee, bro, and I know a lot of them. You at the top of the class. Oh, you know a lot. I know a lot of you. Special. <laughs> I
1: hope I'm on top of it, bro. Hey, man. Peace out, y'all. And hey, goodnight. y'all. Thanks for tuning in, man.
0: Y'all take it easy.